Please be seated. Um, now, there's a star up there in the south, in the southeast. Which oh, that's better. <laughs> which was blinding me. So, excuse me. To us, it's as cosy as a Christmas tree and as comfortable as an old pair of slippers. But of course, we couldn't just leave it alone, could we? This story of the Magi from the East who came to visit the infant Jesus. So we've added a few bits of tinsel and a few baubles of our own. We need a definite number of wise men, so let there be three to match the number of gifts. What names shall we give them? Well, Caspar. Balthazar and Melchior, they sound suitably Eastern, don't they? Now let's plonk them down in the stable, along with Luke's shepherds on Christmas night. Shepherds on the left, wise men on the right, angels, you go to the back, and then add a few halos and a few animals for that rustic effect. All together now. Ah. Well, in fact, we don't know the names of the Magi, or how many there were, or exactly where they came from, or precisely how long after the, service, after the Saviour's birth they came, or what led them to think that the light they had seen in the night sky signified the birth of a new king in Judea. So much of this story is mystery. Yet what we do know is really absolutely wonderful. And this much is clear. One day, towards the end of the reign of Herod, king of Judea, a group of astrologer priests, probably from what used to be called Persia, knocked on the door of an ordinary house in Bethlehem and asked to see the new king. And Matthew tells us that they came to that house, they saw the infant Jesus, they worshipped him, and they offered him gifts of gold, incense, and myrrh. That's Matthew chapter 2, if you can keep your Bibles or reopen them at that chapter, that would be great. Matthew chapter 2, page 966 in the church Bibles. These magi then came, saw worshipped, and offered gifts. I'm going to take those four items in two sets of two. Firstly, then, they came and they saw. There were, of course, those who didn't come and didn't see. I'm thinking, of course, of the great and the supposedly good of Jerusalem, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, According to verse 4 and following, they knew perfectly well from Scripture, Micah to be precise, that the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. And Bethlehem was just five miles down the road. But for some reason, they couldn't be bothered to put their shoes on and go and see for themselves. With these strangers, however, these magi, it was very different indeed. They did come. 
theirs would have been an extremely hazardous journey of hundreds of miles. It would have taken them weeks. They would have had to travel through or to skirt around the desert. They would have endured heat by day and cold by night. They would have been in constant danger from robbers and wild animals, but still they came. They might well not have come. They might have said to one another, Oh, look up there in the night sky. That means there's a new king born over there in Judea. Absolutely fascinating, isn't it? Goodness, is that the time? It's getting late. Let's have our cocoa and get to bed. And the story might have ended right there. Or, having travelled as far as Jerusalem, they might have said, look, we've come far enough now. Let's just leave our gifts on the temple steps here and get back to our wives and families. But no, they travelled and they travelled until they found the new king. They came. They came and they saw. I'm putting those two things together for a reason. They might have made that long journey and arrived finally at Bethlehem, but then they might have had a quick look around and decided, this is no palace, it's just a plain old council house. This can't be a king, it's just an ordinary child. Nothing special here. We must have read the signs wrong after all. Yes, indeed, ladies and gentlemen, it is quite possible to come, but still not to see. There are scholars who earn a living studying these Gospels, but don't believe a word of it. They come to the evidence, but they don't see the truth. Or much nearer home, there are ordinary people like you and me, who've been coming along to church over the Christmas period, singing the carols and hearing the story all over again, but still don't see the truth or the relevance for us today. Now, if that describes you this morning, then be encouraged by the persistence of these magi. Don't give up on your journey, on your seeking Keep on asking those questions. Keep on seeking the truth about all of this. Keep on knocking at the door. Christ himself promised that if you did ask, it would be given to you. If you did seek, you would find. If you do knock and keep on knocking at the door, it will be opened to you. And so that's what the Magi did. They came and they saw. What else did they do? Well, they worshipped and they offered (coughs) gifts. The Magi, when they came and saw Jesus, were bent on worshipping him. Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews, they ask in verse 2. We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. What a contrast with King Herod. His claim to want to go and worship the new king, in verse 8, was completely disingenuous. In fact, he was bent on destroying Jesus. This attitude of Herod, by the way, is entirely in keeping with what secular history records about him. 
Herod, you see, was only partly Jewish and was not of the Davidic line. His title, King of the Jews, was given to him by the Romans and was never accepted by the Jewish people themselves. And because his title was not genuine, Herod lived in constant fear of rivals. Maybe a real king will come along one day, he must have thought. Herod, in fact, didn't trust anyone. He came to suspect various people of plotting against him, including his wife, Mariamne, three of his sons, and various other relatives, and he bumped off the lot. His solution was that simple every time. And to Herod, Jesus was just another rival. The terrible slaughter of all those boys under the age of two is entirely consistent with what we know of Herod's character. But when the Magi came, they saw and they worshipped. And in this, they were the first glimmer of a glorious new dawn. They were the forerunners of a countless multitude from every nation, tribe, and language and people who have sought and found the Messiah, the Christ. Just as it's written in the prophet Isaiah, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, Darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. And just as these three representatives of the nations come to the infant Jesus, so as Christians, we are called at the end of Matthew's gospel to go to the nations with that same message of a king of all. So the the Magi worshipped and they offered gifts. Again, I'm mentioning these two things in the same breath for a reason. We, after all, tend to have a rather narrow view of worship. Worship for So often uh, in our thinking is something we do in church between 10 o'clock and 11.30 on a Sunday morning. Well, in the case of the Magi, their worship didn't take place in a church at all, but in a home. And it led to something very practical. Look at these wealthy, educated, powerful strangers as they bow before the infant king. Watch them open up their treasure boxes and give that baby the very best that they could offer. Precious gold and costly spices, gifts fit for a king. I wonder what he did with those gifts. What can I give him? Well, the well-loved Carol asks that question, doesn't it? What can I give him poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet what I I can, I give him, give my heart. Well, that's fine, so long as giving my heart doesn't just become an excuse for giving a few pleasant feelings and nothing more. Listen to Paul, the apostle, 
as he pleads with the Christians in Rome. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. I urge you, brothers, he writes, in view of God's mercy, to offer your whole selves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This, says Paul, this is the worship that makes sense. When we think of what God has done for us in Christ, when we reflect on the claims of King Jesus over all peoples, when we read of these superstitious pagans tramping all that way, coming to see for themselves, bowing down in homage and offering the best that they had, how will we respond ourselves? How will we spend our time, our energy, our money, our gifts and talents in 2013? Will we give him just the leftovers or our very best? It comes down to how we esteem Jesus Christ. What is he worth to us? And let's come and see for ourselves. Let's kneel at his feet. Let's bring out our treasures. Let's give him the worship of our hearts, our lives, our all. Let's come to the Lord's table this morning, full of gratitude for all that this infant king was destined to do on our behalf. Let's feed on him in our hearts with thanksgiving, and then let us go in peace to love and serve him as our Lord and our King. Let us pray. No people too alien, no journey too difficult, no gift too costly for you, King Jesus. Make a home Make a throne in our hearts and in our church today, we pray. And may we ever live to love and praise and worship and serve you. Amen.